Amen. Amen. What is significant? What is a significant life? To get more specific, consider the following list of words. And consider, as I read this list, what you're more drawn to. List one. Routine. Normal. Natural. Unseen things. Small things. Quiet life. List two. Extraordinary. Exceptional. Big. Live. Loud. What is a significant life? You have two examples in these phrases of what people label significant and insignificant. And we're going to look at this passage today, and we're going to kind of get through the weeds a little bit. So we look into the story of Abraham's life. It seems to be a very normal story. It doesn't seem to be a whole lot there at first glance. But we're going to kind of weed through these two lists of words and see, okay, what is significant? What is extraordinary? If you grew up in a charismatic background, then most likely... Words like routine, normal, natural, unseen, small things, quiet life will be kind of the, the thing that you are, uh, that's kind of just odd to you. You probably grow, grew up in an environment that was very much uh, encouraging to do very big things for God, to do things for God, to get out there and, and live big and to, to make a splash. And uh, as Jordan said a couple weeks ago, the world is your oyster. Okay, like this is about you. Get out there and do some big, big things. If you grew up more in a Lutheran background, a Presbyterian background, more confessional heritage, uh, even a Baptist background, um, then normal, routine, small, unseen things, these, these things may be more uh, kind of in the ordinary for you. This is kind of the life that you lived. And both sides need to be challenged to the other direction. For those who grew up in kind of a more uh, traditional background in a church, it may be that you need to consider, you know what, maybe a mission trip is good for you this year. Maybe doing something out of the ordinary would be a challenge to you. But for those who always kind of, you know, kind of grew up in the background, kind of like I did, of doing big things for God, significance ends up being labeled only, up, only over really big things. You know, just doing really big things for God. That's, that's uh, making an impact in the world. Getting our name out there, doing big things, making an impact. When we look at the Bible... It's kind of true uh, that we do want to see God do some big things. Uh, we don't want to confuse things being recognized with things being important. Because often, some of the most important things in life are things that go unrecognized. Some things that are the most extraordinary are very actually ordinary. Um, and so we want to be biblical and not confused by labeling the things that the world labels as important and then just kind of saying, okay, in the Christian life then, whatever's important in the world, that's important in the Christian life. We want to avoid that. The book of Acts, for instance, is a 30-year book. Yet in churches, often we want all of the book of Acts every single week because that would be significant. We fail to realize that in those 30 years, these are highlights. These are a book, the book of Acts being a book of signs and wonders. It's a signs and wonders book over 30 years. And by the way, I've said this before, our congregation right now is collecting a book of signs and wonders as we have been gathering over the year and a half that we have been gathering. We've seen God do some pretty miraculous things. And then God again providing things like a building. That's a book of signs and wonders, of praying, a couple praying to be pregnant, God opening a womb and a pregnant, Pregnant, pregnancies happening and a new baby and jobs provided and cancer healed. We're getting this book of signs and wonders, but this book of Acts is a 30-year book. And in that 30 years, there's a lot of normal, mundane things that are happening. Moses spent his first 40 years of life 
um, doing life. And then at 40, he gets called into the desert, sent into the desert, running. And God calls him back to Egypt when he's 80 years old. He lived 40 years in a desert. And at 80, God calls him into ministry. Today, ministry is a young man and woman's game, it's often said. Yet God's timeline is different. And some of your best years of ministry, men and women, over 50 and over 60, some of your most impactful moments, don't think it's behind you. God is still using you now. And He may call you to do something specific even right now. Jesus didn't start His public ministry until He was 30 years old. And up until 30 years old, you know what He was doing? He did a lot of construction work with His dad. Just normal, seems like menial, not that important stuff. But in fact, it was important. Abraham, we see, as we've been going through the book of Genesis, was 75 years old when God called him to leave everything. 75 years old. Most of Abraham's life, as we kind of look at it, we've been kind of seeing these high points, most of it actually was very, very normal. A small portion of his life would be quote-unquote exceptional. majority of his life was just daily routine, doing the things that were required of him to do. Genesis 21 gives us a snapshot of Abraham's normal life. Just a snapshot of there wasn't any miraculous, exceptional provision of the Lord. In fact, there was an opportunity for the Lord to flex his muscles in this story in a really cool way, and he doesn't. He doesn't. He works in a different way. So a couple things will be helpful. We want to consider some background work here before we get into the passage. Uh, I want to remember that Abimelech, just a few chapters before, King Abimelech blessed Abraham and Sarah and sent them away into the best land. Hey, pick any land that you want. If you remember, Abraham and Sarah deceived Abimelech. And Abimelech was like, why did you do this thing? Why did you deceive me? And God said, hey, you're a dead man unless you give Sarah back. Well, Abraham, I mean, Abimelech goes above and beyond, gives Sarah back, but then just extravagantly blesses Abraham. And this is a great picture of the gospel of the very ones who sinned against Abimelech. Abimelech blesses and sends away with blessing. And so Abimelech had sent them away, and then Abraham picked a spot and dug a well. And somewhere along the way, after this, could be months, could have been years down the road, along the way, King Abimelech had some servants that came along, and after Abraham and Sarah and their crew, their household, and their, their animals and all of that, after they settled, some of Abimelech's servants came along and seized and stole the well that Abraham dug. Now, if you've ever dug a well, I haven't, I can imagine that that would be quite difficult. And if you ever had a big flock of animals and a family, I, I think you could imagine that a well would be pretty important, getting fresh water. Well, these, these people came and the, the servants seized this well. They took it and somehow now were laying regulations upon Abraham using the very well that he dug. And so God then, in response to this, sends lightning bolts and strikes down the servants. Dot, dot, dot. Not to steal terminology from 1996. Okay, I thought that was kind of funny. Made that up. I didn't plan on that. But. Okay, doesn't do that. Wait, God does not take care of the situation the way we may think he would. Don't touch the Lord's anointed, servants. That's Abraham's well, you know, booming from the clouds. Losing the well was a major problem. And somehow or another, Abraham believes Abimelech is getting back at him. He assumes the servants came at the command of Abimelech, and Abimelech has in fact gotten back at me for 
what I did to him before Abraham calls on the civil authorities. He doesn't at first call upon the name of the Lord. He calls the civil authorities. He calls for the king, and the king and the commander of the king's army then come and talk to Abraham. And that's where we pick up our story. We have Abraham with a complaint, assuming that Abimelech and his commander of his army, that somehow or another they gave commission to their servants to go and take this well. And so Abraham is now talking with the king and the leader of the king's army. Okay, we got it? We there? Okay, that's what happened. <clears throat> Verse 22 to 24, Abimelech and Phicol arrive. After he said these things, or at the time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, said to Abraham, God's with you in all you do. Now therefore swear to me, hereby God, that you will not deal falsely with me or my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Now Abimelech remembered the story from before and he came to Abraham and he made a buffer comment. Have you ever had something you wanted to tell somebody and it was kind of a hard conversation so you just showered them with affirmation before you got to the point? You know, I'm going to give them some buffer comments so it kind of lighten the blow of what I'm about to tell them. Um, when Andy does that, he doesn't do any kind of buffering. He just says it, okay? And that's why I appreciate Andy so much. Uh, so um, Abimelech gives this buffer comment. We know that God is with you in everything that you do, but this isn't their first rodeo with Abraham. And so they make him swear to them that he will be honest. Abraham, we remember you were not honest before, and we want you to be honest now. So up front, let's get all the cards on the table. Abraham, I want you to be honest with me, said King Abimelech. Remember, Abraham, I've been kind to you. I have dealt kindly with you. And I have been very gracious. So you, in response to my kindness, I, I'm asking, Abraham, that you would just be kind to me. That you would deal honestly with me. And Abraham agrees. Seems pretty reasonable. Verse 25, Abraham brings a false accusation based on an assumption. Verse 25, when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants seized, Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this thing, and you didn't tell me. I've not heard of it until today. Abraham assumes, again, that this is what Abimelech was doing. He was kind of just getting back at him. And assuming almost always makes us uh, get in trouble, doesn't it? You know, there's a phrase that goes that's inappropriate to say here as we gather, but uh, <laughs> assuming makes something out of you. I mean, it, it, it typically turns bad toward you when you make assumptions. Because often what happens is we assume the worst and it may or not, may not be that reality. Or we assume that somebody has uh, said that comment in a particular way just to get at me and that person's thinking like, what are you talking about? We do this in marriage all the time. You know, when you're in marriage and you make a comment and you make an assumption of what, about what they meant or didn't mean. And maybe I, I, I just assumed and then there's miscommunication. And, and almost every marriage, and I've seen this in counseling over at, at, uh, at, when I do my counseling work in Marion, almost every marriage struggles with this piece called communication. Okay, you been there? Do you have any marriages here that say, you know what, we have no communication problem. We always understand each other and our intent at all times. Okay, no, we don't. Miscommunication, miscommunication. Abraham assumes that Abimelech's getting back at him, and Abimelech's like, Abraham, the Jared paraphrase, I have no idea what you're talking about. I literally have no idea 
what you are talking about, Abraham. There's no knowledge whatsoever of the matter. Abimelech is showing himself to be innocent of the matter again. Verse 27 to 30, it's interesting because Abraham begins to backtrack. And we see that he takes responsibility in the miscommunication because he offers gifts to Abimelech. So Abraham begins to backstep and say, oh, oh I mean, I mean, uh, 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 let me give you some things, Abimelech. Here's what he says, verse 27 to 30, look with me. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what's the meaning of the seven ewe lambs that you've set apart? He said, well, the seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. So in verse 27, Abraham gives sheep and oxen to Abimelech for a covenant. In verse 28, he goes above and beyond that, and he gives seven ewe lambs for Abimelech. And Abimelech, again, it's like a head scratcher here. Abraham, what's going on? Uh, Abimelech actually asked the question in verse 29, what's this about? And in verse 30, Abraham said to secure a witness to the fact that the well is mine. So he wanted to ensure that when this civil authority leaves, everybody in the region knows this is Abraham's well. So he has to appeal to these civil authorities. Then in verse 31 and 32, we see that there is some resolution to this whole, all this, all the shenanigans. Verse 31 and 32 says this, Therefore the place was called Beersheba, because both of them swore an oath. They made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, rose up, Return to the land of the Philistines. All parties are happy. Abimelech and Phicol go home. Head back home. In verse 33 and 34, we see that Abraham then responds by praising God. This is interesting. It's an intriguing point. Abraham, verse 33, planted a Tamarisk tree in Beersheba called there on the name and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, which is the first time, by the way, that this is used, this phrase, we're introduced to, we've been introduced to God as creator, and now we're introduced to God, the everlasting God, no beginning, no end, everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. He calls upon the name of the Lord, plants a tree, praises us, and gives God the name everlasting God, recognizes the name of God as the everlasting God, and he sojourned in the land. It seems to be quite a normal story. It's not an extraordinary story in the sense that Abraham rescuing Lot with 300 men was an extraordinary story. If you remember that story, Tim preached that. Abraham, the true story of the 300, Lot gets taken and Abraham goes on a mission and just kills everyone, I mean blood and guts everywhere, and gets Lot and the family back and brings them back home. It's an extraordinary story. It's not a story of God just showing up and speaking to Abraham. It's a story where Abraham has to appeal to a civil authority and get some help from the powers on high. Not God, but from Abimelech. Seems to be just kind of a normal piece here. What, why is it there kind of thing? It's just kind of a normal story in the life of Abimelech. It's just kind of, I mean, of Abraham. It's just kind of a snapshot. Okay, here's, here's what happened. Okay, here's what happened. It's almost like if you had a, a normal day in your life where just if maybe a business deal went down or something, some sort, sort of small thing was uh, resolved or even a big thing was resolved, but later on, it's just kind of a footnote. It's just kind of what it feels like this is. It's just kind of a footnote in the story. Just Abraham, Abimelech, 
made a treaty. The well went back to Abraham and his household. So I want to see a few implications for the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life. Uh, author by the name of Watchman Nee wrote a book and a title of Normal Christian Life, and I'm stealing it just for my points here. The name, The Normal Christian Life. And there are five implications that I want to look at. I'm going to read through the five, and then I'll, we'll go through them. Number one is we live under civil authorities. We live under civil authorities. Number two, we use normal means. Normal means. I'll explain that here in a second. Number three, your well will be stolen. Your well will be stolen. Number four, God is worthy of praise in the everyday life. God is worthy of praise in the everyday life. And number five, life with Jesus makes normal, quote, unquote, awesome. Life with Jesus makes normal awesome. Number one, we live under civil authorities. Abraham, as we remember, had to appeal to the king. Christians across the globe live and exist under the rule of all sorts of government regimes. Some are monarchies, living under the rule of a king or a queen. Some live in socialistic societies. Some live under the rule of communistic leaders. Some, like us, live in a republic. We do live in a republic. Is that correct? Okay? And you can get into debate. What's a democracy and what's a republic? I don't know. I had to literally Wikipedia it. Um, we live in a republic. And Christianity has survived and thrived in all sorts of civil structures. Survived tyrants, and survived even countries like our very own, the United States of America, which we are blessed to live in. But sometimes the freedom that we so fight for can inoculate people to the realities of living as sojourners and exiles, which we are. And all of a sudden, the land in which you live, in our minds, becomes the promised land. And this country, although we should love the country we live in, we should never confuse the country that we live in with the kingdom that we are a part of. And we are a part of a kingdom that is in fact global. And it is historic. And it is futuristic. And it goes beyond border and border walls even. It goes beyond countries, uh, continents, hemispheres, it is encompassing of the entire globe, and the kingdom of God has thrived. We live under civil authorities. Here in this situation, we, receive, we, we understand that, uh, that Abraham appealed to the authority of the land. He just simply went to the king, appealed, and said, I need some help. He assumed that the king was doing something he shouldn't have been, but he did live under the rule of this leader. Abraham knew he was a citizen of another kingdom. And so it gave him a right perspective in living in the kingdom that he was actually dwelling in physically. It helped him not confuse the eternal kingdom with the kingdom he was a part of. And he was able to appropriately approach King Abimelech or appeal to King Abimelech. Um, this is our responsibility in the country that we live, both locally and nationally. There's a lot of confusion that happens during the political seasons with uh, Christian people. Um, you may be one of those Christian people who are very opinionated when the politics roll around. Um, I tend to avoid all of it, okay? Like not avoid prayer about it, but avoid getting into it. Has anybody ever been happy in a political discussion that you've witnessed? 
Or has anybody been loving and compassionate on any internet dialogue from opposing parties? No. Um, okay, politics. We need godly men and women in politics. We have people in our church that are godly men and women involved in politics. We need that, and we need to pray for that. In fact, we are commanded in the Scriptures, 1 Timothy chapter 2, to pray for our leaders. And that is our primary civil responsibility, to pray for our leaders, that they would become Christians, that there would be, how great would it be if there was a revival in, lo in the local government? If mayors of communities became Christians and they understood the difference between trying to legislate Christianity and actually living out the Christian faith, they understood that their responsibility even as civil leaders isn't to mandate other people be converts, but they lived out in their social sphere and the authority that God has given them, the Christian faith, godly principles, walking with the Lord. That's what we need to pray for that. And ask for that. We live under civil authorities. In fact, in Romans 13, we're told to obey our leaders wherever we live, whatever country we're a part of. And if it's illegal, don't do it. We obey the laws of the land until they cause us to be disobedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in the book of Acts a couple times where they said, we, you, you tell us whether it's okay to obey you or the Lord. And the rhetorical question, the only answer to this question was, it's a, we are to if evangelism is ever outlawed, sorry, we are going to evangelize. Okay? But until that day comes, we are to be respectful and prayerful of civil authorities. Number two, Abraham uses normal means. Abraham didn't call from heaven, call for heaven. God, you know that you've chosen me, and through the seed, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed, and I'm asking you to kill those who seized my well. How dare they step on the Lord's anointed? The word faith, in fact, I think, has in large part been hijacked. Faith is about trusting in God, not the avoidance of anything that appears natural or ordinary. He ordinarily, naturally, just called for the help of the king. Nothing apparently supernatural about that. It's just very natural, using the wisdom that God had given him, called to the leaders, the authorities above him. And in fact, in, in our lives, we do this quite often. When we get a headache, or if we're sick, for instance, if, I'm head, if I have a headache, what do you do? Take Tylenol. Pray. You can go pop some ibuprofen. What I do, NyQuil works for everything. Just drink a half a bottle and sleep, and you wake up feeling great. Okay. But when I'm, when I'm not feeling well, Jordan's got to watch me because I'm just like, you know, like just popping, you name it. Just want to feel better. Okay, so anyways, don't... Okay, that's an instance. Okay, follow, don't follow me as I follow Christ, but not when it comes to being sick. Um, so when we get a headache, we take Tylenol. Um, to grow in Christ, often we want to go from one high to another. This starts when uh, we grow up in the church and we love, and it continues by, it's just called pastor's conferences today, uh, where we live from one high to the, ne to the next, where we, we want to go to summer camp, when we're in, in, in school, or we want a revival. We, we live from one exciting time with the Lord to the next. We want those spiritual highs. It's extraordinary, but... Life with Jesus includes everyday normal life, walking with the Lord. 
So to grow in Christ, we repent and we trust in him every day. We read our Bibles, we pray, we love the local church, we love each other. You know, it's interesting that the world will not know that, they're, that we are Christians by our love for the world, but the world will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. Isn't that interesting? Just normal means. You just love each other. You know, you want to see revival in this area? We'll start loving each other. The church. Forget loving the world. Like, of course. Yeah, okay. Love, pray, and evangelize. But Galatians chapter 6 says, let us do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. We're family. And if we have concern for people knowing Jesus, let's, it sounds so weird, focus more on loving each other in here than we do loving everybody else. Do we love each other? I want to love you even more. It's a mark of being a believer. Love for the brothers, brethren, loving each other. Not backbiting. And I love in the history of the church, this is what we see from every single congregation. Great love. No gossip or backbiting or slander. Just love. <laughs> not, again. That's not the case. That's not the case at all. But it should be. It should mark us where we just, we love each other. It just seems so non-extraordinary, non-big, huge. Let everybody know about Christ Church Carbondale or let everybody know about this or that. Hey, you, you want to see revival? Just love each other. Love each other. They'll know that there's something different because this community of people, they actually don't just use each other or manipulate each other or us or anybody else. They love each other. It's amazing. Normal means to grow, you don't need a conference. You have a Bible. You have the Holy Spirit. We have each other. Just normal, everyday living. Number three, number three, your well will be stolen. Hey, newsflash here, although we'll talk about the joys of life here in a second, life's hard. Life's hard. We live in a fallen world. And if you, unless your head is buried in the sand, there's hard things going on around you. It's hard things in this world. Life is hard. Providing for a family is hard. Loss is a reality. Yet... Life is not random. Challenges are not simply challenges. Suffering is not simply suffering. Blessing, in fact, isn't simply blessing. God is at work here. God is fathering us, growing us, not abandoning us. When Abimelech and Phicol leave, what does Abraham do? He praises the Lord for this. Calls upon the name of the Lord. The normal means that civil magistrate, the well was back and after it had been stolen and God, God does this for him through a very normal, ordinary way and Abraham calls upon the everlasting God. And almost always when somebody goes through a hard time, they look back, almost always, they look back and say, I'm thankful. Yeah, it was tough. It was excruciating. It was horrible. But I'm thankful. God was fathering me. He was giving me chocolates. He didn't take away my pain. Apparently it wasn't His will at that time. But He was letting me sit on His lap. It may be easy for me to say at this moment, but God fathers us and nothing is purposeless. Nothing. And that's, that's great hope. That nothing is random. Your well will be Stolen. Walking with God is an adventure. It really is. 
not of utopia now, everything being peaceful, although we do have peace, of no valleys. It's not of utopia of, of you're going to have extraordinarily painful seasons. But the adventure of walking with God is His presence with you through all of it. Every moment, He's with you. It's an adventure. Your well will be stolen. Number four, God is worthy of praise in the everyday life. We already made a comment, made a comment just a second ago. Abraham in verse 33 called upon the name of the everlasting God. Existence is different for the Christian than the non-Christian. We have different definitions for the same words that the world use. Purpose, success, meaning, ordinary, extraordinary kingdom, the kingdom of God, the way up is down. The way we get a crown is through a cross. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. The strong are the ones who know they're weak, not the ones who beat their chest and claim to be strong. The humble are the ones who are convinced of their pride, not the ones who are convinced of their humility. The way things work and function in this kingdom are different than the ways of the world. And God is worthy to be praised in the everyday life. We have answers to the biggest questions that the human soul can ask in this universe. Does God exist? What can I do about a guilty conscience? Can I have peace with God if He does exist? What is truth? What is truth? Does life matter? Do I have a purpose? These questions have been asked by the greatest minds down through the history of the world from society to society. It's not just philosophers who have asked these questions. It's everyday people who deal with the same human condition and ask the same questions decade in, decade out. And we, we have answers to those questions. The world lives in gray. Christians live in full color. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine going to Ferncliff or going to Giant City and climbing up a bluff. Maybe you've done this before. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you hate the outdoors. But you climb up a bluff, and it's 6.30, 7 o'clock. It's not all that humid. It's pretty night. The sun is going down, and there's a beautiful sunset. You just see it. Full, full, I mean, you just see it. It's, it's just beautiful. But it's gray. And all the colors on the trail were gray. And you know that there's some beauty there, but it's gray. It's black and white. You see these different shades. But oh, is it beautiful. You see it, you walk, you love to see it, but there's no color. It's just gray. All your life you've seen gray, and that's all you know. And you know that that sunset's beautiful even though it's gray and different shades of gray and black and white. And you can see it, and you just sit there and you just watch. And you wonder,
the latest show. But we have been invited into a life where we see things differently. Imagine being colorblind. And the video I was going to show is an 80-year-old man who had never seen color before. And for his birthday gift, his grandchildren had bought them this new invention, these glasses that help a colorblind person see color. And he puts on what he thinks is sunglasses, puts them on, and he starts weeping. He sees colors for the first time. They had put balloons of all these different colors in front of him. And he kept taking them off and putting them back on and taking them off and putting them back on. And he was seeing the world differently. And friends, walking with Jesus, when we have answers to the biggest questions in the universe, we're we're invited into something unique that nobody else in the world has been invited into or is living in. Does God exist? Yes, we don't wrestle with that question anymore. What can I do about a guilty conscience? I can do nothing, but God can take care of it. And God has, in fact, taken care of it. Can I be right with God? I can't, but God can make me right with Him. What is truth? Jesus is truth. Does life matter? Yes, it matters. Does life have a purpose? Yes, life has a purpose. These huge questions that people wrestles with. And when God opens your eyes to the truth of the gospel of Jesus, it changes our eyes. It changes our sights. It fills in some gaps. And we have everything that we need. When you understand Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, okay, and you know that you're secure with the God of the universe, that He is pleased with you because Jesus lived a perfect life fulfilling God's law for you, and although you didn't fulfill the, God, the laws that God gave you to fulfill, you go to, you, Jesus goes to the cross and shows us what we deserve from God, but then gives us something different. We get from God the life that Jesus lived, credited to us, counted as ours. And when you realize that you don't have to have a guilty conscience anymore, that the God of the universe in whom the angels surround, holy, 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 As I said in my prayer sometime in the beginning, He's pleased with you. He has His eye on you. His affection is sent toward you. It changes everything. Number five, life with Jesus makes normal, quote unquote, awesome. Life with Jesus makes normal awesome. I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter. 4, verse 9 through 12. I love this about the church in Thessalonica. They apparently were a church that did love each other. Starting in verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this and more and more. And by the way, side note here, uh, this is a loving church. I've said this before, but we haven't had like one instance of gossip and slander in a year and a half. Yeah, that's remarkable. That I know of. Like it's it's awesome. You know, ministry has often been described as putting out fires. You know, where it's just like people are upset all the time, so you just got to go and just, you know, the work of ministry is just like putting out fires. 
You ever heard that before? It's kind of a common thing, you know, and, and it's, you know, said before, and we've joked about this, or where pastors kind of adopt the, the idea that ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people kind of thing. And, um, and so, but that's, but here, we, you guys are awesome. Like, we, it's, we just, it, it's, there's love, brotherly love. I love it. It goes on, verse 11, and aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your own hands as instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is what it says. Love each other. Aspire. In our world, what you grew up in probably was aspire to live large. Aspire to do massive things for God. Aspire to get your name known. Aspire to live significantly. Aspire to this, this, that, that. But here we're told aspire to live quietly. To mind your own affairs. It's interesting. To work with your own, work with your own hands. Normal things with Jesus are extraordinary. Normal things with Jesus are extraordinary. All of a sudden, a quiet life becomes a quiet life with Jesus. And if you're living a quiet life with Jesus and with your family, that's enough. And God can determine the other things about your life, but as you're minding your own affairs, doing what God has given you responsibility to do, how much time and energy we waste trying to figure out everybody else's problems and critique what everybody else is doing and not doing. And we spend critical hours of our thinking on things that we can make no difference on whatsoever. All the while, we miss time to think critically and pour work into the things that can make a difference in our everyday life. And working with your own hands, doing what God has provided you to do, working with your own hands so that the world may not be offended by our need for them. We're doing our Heart, working with our own hands. Friends, work with Jesus. Imagine there was a day that Jesus and his dad on this earth were working carpentry together. Okay, son, here's how you do this. You work this, you know, you, you do this work and you, and you work with this, this, you go along with the grain of the wood and you do this work. And with Jesus, you're, you're working with the Lord. He's with you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Your life, regardless of what anybody else says, or if anybody ever knows you or doesn't know you or whatever, is absolutely extraordinary. Five implications of Genesis chapter 1, verse 22 to 34, as we looked at a Snapchat, uh, Snapchat, <laughs> a Snapchat of Abraham's ordinary life. Abraham would probably not have that many followers on Snapchat, except for the big parts of his life, except for... The whole 300 scene. A normal, normal, normal situation, Abraham, Abimelech, a stolen well, appeal to civil authorities. It seems like, what, what's it there? Why is it there? It seems out of place. Well, we saw five implications. We live under civil authorities. He uses normal means. Your well will be stolen. God is worthy of praise in the everyday life. And with Jesus, life with Jesus, it makes normal awesome. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace.
to us. I thank You for Your mercy. I thank You that You have not just forgiven us, but You have given us. Not just forgiven, but also given us everything that we need. And as we live our lives, I think about the situation Jordan and I are in with ransom and just routines and and life. And I know there's several in here that are close to retirement and thinking about what's next or maybe are retired. and um, Help us not miss now, right now, like this moment, not the rest of this day, not what we're having for lunch, but right now, that we get to sing to Jesus. That we get to tell Him through tears or through smiles that He's worthy. That we're thankful for Him. That we're thankful that He's not ashamed to be called our brother. That He has called us His friend. And right now, like in this moment, we're gathered with several people who also love Jesus and that love us. Help us to just be. Help us to be emptied and filled with the goodness of Your grace. We just thank You for who You are and what You've done. It's going to be our joy to sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.